Elgar has been the mainstay of the South African batting lineup, along with Faf Duplessis in the tests. So like I already that. have our first argument. Huh? Oh God! Okay, right, here we go. First argument. So, um, if you're if you have a problem with Elgar, you should you should see Preston's entire lineup. <laughs> There's a major issue with that. Story. It's horrible. <laughs> you're just gonna be laughing. I know. Dude, I, you're I, gonna I, laugh at how Sewerge and I are roasting this dude. Okay. Hey everyone, welcome to the second Silly Points podcast. I'm here with Preslin and Lexia. Um, today we're in for a great podcast. Um, we got a quick briefing before of the previous three IPL games, and then we're jumping straight into the international play and then wrapping up the podcast with our picks for the best World Test 11. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, make sure you stick around for that. And um, yeah, I think the first game we're going to cover right now is in the IPL is the CSK versus KKR. Um, and yeah, let's let's get started. KKR versus CSK. I mean, it's one of those games that pretty much encapsulates how the season is going for both the teams, right? I mean, on one hand, you've got Chennai who seem to still be bogged down by those one or two problem players that are way too slow to do anything useful. You've got Gaither Jadav, um, Dhoni had a slowish start, which kind of hurt them. And honestly speaking, it's to the point where CSK have done a better job accelerating of late, but I still think they're leaving it too deep. You know, there was a time last couple of games, two games ago when Watson and Duplessis had that amazing opening stand where it looked like they'd shed those shackles and gone all out. But this game, you saw more of the same, slightly better, but overall they just take the game too deep and they left with way too much to do. Um, yeah, I, th- I definitely think so. I, but I feel like the opening pair, they did their job um initially i they didn't get off to a flying start but they still put up good numbers um 50 for shane watson obviously duplessis had 17 off 10 though uh, 170 strike rate so it, again it's coming it's becoming a pattern that we're seeing where the middle order has to really step up in every game um even if the top order does super well they unless they last like the first 12 overs or so um but yeah there's a lot of reliance on the middle order to keep the run rate going and ticking um, and yeah, I mean, it was very clear that CSK did not live up to those expectations. Build, building on, you know, to what's been said already, I think one one of the, you know, quote-unquote strengths of CSK over the last few years that has really, you know, a lot of their success has been attributed to is their uh, retain, they're retaining a small group of core players. I think now that is starting to backfire on them a little bit just because they have a very aging core, you know, the likes of MS Dhoni, Shane Watson, mm-hmm. uh, they're well past their prime. And I think anything they're giving you now is a bonus on top of what they've given you for the last few seasons. And I think CSK's reliance on their core group is something that could potentially bog them down for this tournament as well as the coming tournaments. Um, you know, unlike other franchises, you don't have, you know, ranks of youth players coming out. You know, I think the only really young player in the lineup against um, KKR was Sam Curran, who, you know, did a great job. But going forward, I think they need to shuffle it up a little bit so that they're more future-proof in the long run. One thing about Sam Curran is I think CSK need to start trusting him a little bit more with the bat. You know, he starts coming in in the 15th, 16th over. And I just think, you know, the last time he came in the 14th over, I just think, 
time. And he's a better batsman than this. You know, he, he is a good pinch hitter. He comes in, he gets a quick 20, 15, 20 off of five, 10 balls. And that's good. But I think given their issues with their starts, right? If you, if you put him in at opening or if you put him in at number three, we know Duplessis can play in the middle order. We know he can do it well. We've seen it before. So if you put Karin in opening like Punjab did last time, I have a feeling he could end up solving a lot of their problems. He needs to face more balls. Because if you bat him at number five with only 10, 15 balls to play when the asking rate is 11 or 12 or 13, I mean, he'll get you the runs in a lot of pressure. 10 balls. But yeah, it's just, it's a ridiculous scenario to ask a 22-year-old to come into. So I just wonder if they need to start trusting him a little bit more and get away from the score of Gaydar Jadav and Ryodu a little bit. You know, I think their time is a little bit past. Again, that may not solve all the issues with them. It's You can't pin it on the fact that their order is based on Sam Curran and moving them up will solve the issues. Um, no, but it would certainly of, help it a little bit. Definitely, yeah, right. Coming back to, you know, the the style of cricket that's being played and the philosophy of the franchise, I think KKR have it nailed down. They have a much smaller core group of T20 specialists in the likes of, you know, Russell and Narayan who've been there for the last five, six seasons between them. And having a core like that, you know, a much smaller core, and it's a core of T20 specialists who excel at this format, who've excelled in this format over the last few years in T20 leagues the world over. And around them, they've constantly been amalgamating it with um, younger talent, the likes of Shiva Mavi, and particularly, you know, not to the management for the way they've dealt with Kamlesh Nagarkoti, who spent the last two years out with, severe injuries but they've backed him they've you know stuck to their guns and now he's coming good for them you know bowling three overs for 21 against this csk lineup he bowled tough overs in the middle of the innings and he did in fact if i'm um, not mistaken get the wicket of ambati raidu that broke that very very important second wicket partnership so i think mm-hmm. just backing youngsters and making that the philosophy of a franchise is really the key to success for IPL franchises going forward. And I think everyone can learn a lot from KKR in that regard. It's important to note, though, that what KKR have actually done is they've surrounded their youngsters, not just with the, you know, with the time and the backing needed to succeed, but they've also given them a very, very good leadership core. You've got Morgan, Russell, Narayan, who are three of probably the three of the best T20 players in the world and three excellent leaders as well. And I, I, I think... That factor can't be overrated either. You, you saw it, I think, in the f- first game or the second game where Morgan guided Shubman Gill through the chase. Gill scored, I think, 70 not out. Morgan scored 40, right? You see it when Andre Russell, you saw all of last year. Pat Cummins, again, he's been through an absolutely torrid time with his injuries, and he's come back shining as the best bowler in the world in test cricket. So he's... All of these guys are really an example to the younger players as well, and it helps them keep perspective. You know, we've seen a lot of young players like Varun, for example, right? Varun Chakravarti, who had probably one of the worst spells of injury that you could have imagined at the worst possible time. Uh, He broke his finger, hurt his back, comes back now, and he's doing better than ever because they're backing him and they've got the right support network around him to ensure that if he, you know, if he messes up, it's fine. You keep backing him because young players tend to either play with more abandon or more caution, right? And it depends on this, their security in the team. So this actually ties in pretty well to how 
England manage their ODI side and their T20 side, um, they decided a long time ago that after 2015, the biggest issue is that players are just too afraid to play. Um, so they kept playing conservatively, kept trying to, you know, preserve their wicket instead of going for it and scoring and trusting their team. So when you start playing as a team instead of playing as individuals, right, you say, okay, I'll take a risk here. If it doesn't go off, that's all right, because we have four other batsmen that can do the trick. That's much better. But that's only possible if you know that you're going to retain your place moving forward. And this is why you see people like um, Drabati, right, being able to then start playing freely. They, you saw them move him up the order. You saw them back him. And that's really important for the confidence of a player. So we've identified some issues with CSK there, but um, I think we should move on to the next game. Um, Sunrisers versus Kings Eleven. Um, pretty interesting game. That's one you way have, to put it. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> but you have the opening partnership, David Warner and Johnny Bairstow, uh, scoring a lot of runs for them at the very beginning. Bairstow with 97 off 55 and uh, 52 off 40 for David Warner. Um, again, those two are, that pair is just extremely strong and showing what the core of their team is really. And um yeah, I think apart from that, the fielding side was like for the fielding for Sunrisers was what really pushed them over, um, getting a run out and I think being very aggressive. Um, David Warner's fielding and then that run out on um, of Mayank, um, Mayank Agarwal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, very very early on key wicket and um, yeah, I think Kale Rahul also didn't get off to a, the best start, best of starts eleven off. Yeah, 16. I want your perspective on um, that. What is going on with him? We saw him play as one of the fastest batsmen in the world last IPL. He started off the season in amazing form, and all of a sudden you see him playing ten off fifteen, five off ten. What's going on? Yeah, I think obviously, like you mentioned, right? There's obviously he's coming off a long layoff, but other than that, one major factor that's changed from last season is handing him captaincy. The he the start of the IPL, he was one captain I was personally quite apprehensive of. You know, I didn't know if he could take the burden of leadership along with, you know, his batting, which is something that he's always put under a microscope for. And I think this um the first couple of games I thought he did all right. He, you know, of course after that RCB game where he played one of the best IPL innings I've seen, you know, in a long, long time. I thought, hey, you know, maybe this is a great confidence booster for him and he can take this forward. But I think after that, he's been a little bit all over the place. Like, um, you know, Punjab have changed wicket keepers three times this IPL already. You know, that's already a worrying sign. Having him move away from the stumps, it just shows his, you know, lack of confidence, I think is one way of putting it. He's becoming increasingly less confident with a bat. And just, I think the burden of captaincy is something that's, you know, taking away from his game overall. And I think it's a real pity for Punjab because I think they do have a really exciting squad with the likes of, you know, my favorite bowler of the tournament so far, Ravi Bishnoi. You know, he's, they, they do have a really, really good squad and I feel are grossly underperforming. I think, this, you know, do they really have that good of a squad though? Because it seems to me as it's extremely thin. I mean, it's so top reliant. Maxwell hasn't gotten off to a good start. You've got Puran, Mayank, uh, KL Rahul, and then Glenn Maxwell, and those are great. But Garner hasn't really played well in the IPL in a long time. Nishim is one of those good players who won't really win you a game. 
And Cottrell is good, of course, but he hasn't really played that much in the IPL. So there's at least four or five weak spots in this team you can identify. We covered that in like last podcast, our very first one. And that again, that they were very top reliant and there was no balance to the team, as Dinesh pointed out. Yeah, I think they're just trying too many things uh, at once, like Preston said. You know, like you can't keep switching wicket keepers from Purin to Rahul and all, all over again. Like make a decision, back someone to do that job and then stick to it. You know, you can't really keep going back and forth and expect good results. But I mean, you have uh, Puran getting the fastest 50 that we've seen up to date in this in this tournament uh 17 balls right absolutely incredible innings amazing innings yeah um but also the likes of rashid khan taking three wickets like beautiful bowling um that google is just a beautiful beauty to watch but um i think we can move on to the next game which is the rr versus dc um today's match you have the man of the hour, Marcus Soinus, as Lexia put in in the last podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> playing really well, 39 off 30, led the team there. And uh, 45 from Hetmeyer as well. And yeah, as, as usual, DC's been putting on a good performance, showing the balance of the team and the squad as a whole, um, really proving why they're um, at the top of the table. Thoughts on that game? Okay. You know, I think one question I, I'm still struggling with is what is happening to Bishop Punt? Why is... Why is he playing the way that he is? You know, through this IPL, we've seen he's barely hit any sixes. He's at five sixes in total. That's just not like him. And when you consider that they played two of their games at Sharjah, it's, it's almost unacceptable. I mean, the question is, is he under too much pressure? Are they expecting more from him than the carefree style of play that he had in the last IPL? And if so, that's a problem. And that's something that needs addressing because he is one of those players that needs to step up and take responsibility. I mean, his dismissal today was atrocious. There was never a run in that. Stoinis took a couple of instinctive steps forward, and Punt puts his head down and runs. He seems disconnected from the game. And I think more than that, the worrying part for me is when you watch him play, the range of strokes is not there anymore. In the past, you saw him hit the ball to all corners of the ground, ramp shot, sweeps, uh, slogs over cow corner. You're not seeing too much of that anymore. You're seeing him almost bat as if he's trying to preserve his wicket a little bit more. And the problem with that is it starts putting pressure on the other batsmen too. If it isn't, you know, Stoinis and Hetmeyer came off really well today, and that's a credit, but you've got to expect a little bit more from Risha Punt anytime soon if you want to succeed going forward. I think this game was slightly more of an anomaly because even in the previous game against um, RCB, I believe, uh, he scored 37 off 25. So it's not like he's struggling to get off the mark. Um, this game was definitely an anomaly in my opinion. Um, but yeah, um, what do you think, Preston? I mean, yeah, I I have always had my reservations about Richard Pant. I think he's you know, a tremendous asset, but I think what Lakshya pointed out is a great dichotomy. If you um, if you expect a batsman, if you expect more from a batsman, you expect a batsman to score more runs. That does mean batsmen instinctively look to protect their wicket more. And I think this is, again, the burden of expectation on him. If you remove that expectation, put him as a floater to come in and accelerate and take the game by the scruff of, it, scruff of its neck by his own pace, I think he'll do a much better job. So I think that's something for the... DC management to figure out in terms of how they want to use him and you know what they expect him to provide to this team as a whole. But I think 
beyond that, one thing that's not been talked about enough about this Delhi Capitals team. I know um, the you you guys did mention Akshar Patel the last um, episode, but I feel you know the man of the hour of this game was our Ashwin and. I've always been a fan of Ashwin personally. I think he can walk into almost any bowling attack in world cricket today and make it better. I think he's just such a clever bowler, a clever, clever cricketer as a whole. And I think he's something that I think DC got really lucky that his injury at the start of the tournament wasn't something serious enough to sideline him. Because I think he he can lead this bowling attack along with Rapada and... At the moment, I feel they're the best bowling attack in the competition. And that is testament to, you know, that's played a huge part in why they've been so successful so far. Yeah, you're right. I think the fact that they have six bowlers is really important, you know, because if someone has an off day, they can go to the six bowler too. You see Stoyan is playing that role. It's it's very, very crucial because let's say you've only got five and someone ends up, either getting injured and then you have to bowl a part-timer like Williamson was bowling for Sunrisers the other day, right? That's two overs that potentially just get taken away and 15 extra runs. So I think Delhi's depth of bowling is important, but I think more than that, they have players that can bowl at all stages of the match. And that's the most important thing for me. Ashwin can open. Rabada is an incredible death bowler all of a sudden. I don't quite know how that happened, honestly. And then you've got Norcia, who you know can bowl in any place, anytime. And then Akshar is one of the best middle-over bowlers in the IPL. Absolutely. I think yeah, Nortier is the, you know, is the sort of missing piece. And he's someone who's so well-suited for the UAE conditions just because he has so many variations. His length is great. He's, you know, he's a tall, well-built, well-built guy. So he gets bounce and pace in wickets that just don't have bounce and pace. And I think that's something that's really key. And that's, why I was going back to Punjab, that's why I was a little surprised that Sheldon Cottrell hasn't done better because he too, he's a well-built guy. He bowls quick. He gets bounce. He gets pace. I think Naughty has just marshaled his length and just been so disciplined throughout DC's games. And I think while Rabada is the one getting the wickets, I think Nautier's bowling in tandem with him and just building up pressure that way has contributed a lot. And his contribution should not be overlooked as well, I feel. So, so, yeah, those were all the three IP, IPL games over the past few days. And, um, yeah, just a quick update on Ali Khan. We're, we've been following him closely because he's from the U.S. But um, he is injured and he has been ruled out from the tournament. But he's still being held in the squad. Um, he hasn't been removed. So I think it's still a good experience for him. And he'll be learning a lot. And, um, yeah, it's, it'll be good to support him from here. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second half of our podcast. Uh, we're going to be picking a World 11s here for the test format. Uh, the ground we will be picking for is a very standard ground, the SCG. It's got something in it for the spinners, the pacers, the batsmen, um, reasonable boundary sizes and everything. We're going to be picking players based on their last four years of form for the country. Another caveat that we're going to be doing is we're going to have to require that you pick the player in the position that they play for the national side. So openers must be opening for the national side. Uh, the number three has to be batting at number three for his national side as his primary position. The number four has to be batting at the number four for, as, for his national side as a primary position. For five and six, they just have to be batting at five or six. You can switch them as you would like. Um, 
and seven as well for that matter. Uh, and then of course your lower order comes and the batting doesn't really, the batting order doesn't really matter for the lower order because those are the bowlers. Some of you will notice that because we said specialist four, this means you're going to have to pick between one of Steve Smith and Virat Kohli. Ordinarily, and of course, no one's going to actually pick a world 11 that excludes one of them. However, to make this exercise a little bit more interesting and to have a few more debates, we're going to make it so that the format means you can only pick one at number four, Steve Smith or Virat Kohli. Also joining the second half of the podcast is Rishi from the first episode. So it'll be a good time along with me, Suraj, and Prasan. So yeah, let's get started with the openers here. So I'm going to go with David Warner and Dean Elgar. I understand that means two lefties, but... I think based on form over the last four years, David Warner has been the most consistent opener in the world in test format. Um, he had a year where he wasn't there, but uh, even then, he's been the top run scorer, uh, had an amazing Australian summer, uh, had a bit of a rough spot in England, but looks to have figured out his technical issues a little bit better. And uh, that was in a series where it was notoriously tough to face the opening bowlers anyways. With regards to Dean Elgar, Elgar is a good counterpart to Warner. Warner can score at will, freely, ends up scoring 100 before lunch. Elgar can block the ball resolutely, provide a nice foil, uh, balance the lineup in case of a collapse. Um, and he's been South Africa's mainstay at the top of the order for a long time. So that's my opening. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I can go next. So I have Warner as well. Same reasons as Lakshya said. And but um, on the other hand, I don't have Elgar. I took uh, Karuna at nine instead from Sri Lanka. I think he's very methodical in his approach for scoring runs, and he guides his team very well. Um, but yeah, Rishi, you want to? Yeah, sure. Um, in my first opener is David Warner. There's really not much to say there. He averages forty six. He's been ever ever since 2013, 24, He's been easily the most consistent opener. He scored runs in basically almost all conditions. Couple couple spots a bit iffy, obviously in his his ashes was pretty poor and in Asia he doesn't have the greatest record, but he's easily hands down the best opener in test cricket. I've also gone for another lefty in openers. Doesn't seem like there's any right-handed openers that'll contend, but I have not gone for Elgo or Kernatne. I've gone for Tom Latham actually. Tom Latham's been Tom Latham's been averaging forty two overall in his test career and he's been averaging over forty five plus and he also he also opens batting one of the toughest places to do which is New Zealand. New Zealand has one of the worst records for openers overall for both at home and overseas teams. And I think Tom Williams has been extremely consistent. He has 11 centuries. He has two, three, two, three double centuries. And he's basically been a pinnacle of New Zealand test set team. You know, I almost ended up picking Tom Latham as well. So I've got no arguments with you on there. Because yeah. I think it's a coin flip between the two, quite frankly. I will say with Latham, uh, some of his centuries tend to come on the slightly flatter pitches. Um, so I thought on tough pitches, Elgar has a better record overall, but it's such a close call. I don't think you can fault anyone for picking one or the other. I, I do agree, but also I picked Tom Latham over Dean Elgar because Tom Latham's eight, I feel like Tom Latham's overseas record is a lot better than Elgar. Um, I'm not, I don't have a stats to back you up there, but if, if I remember correctly, Tom Latham has scored runs. In fact, I think what really got him to be a New Zealand's first year's opener was the 2016 Tour of India, where he consistently scored 60s, 70s almost every game. He's a great player of spin, especially he's considered to be one of New Zealand's best players spins in the one day format, which is why that's five there. But in test as an opener, he has a great record, and which is why he has a lot of hundreds because he's able to get through new ball and play spin 
And I think Dean Elgar, I think Dean Elgar's a bit suspect against Offspin. Tom Latham has a great record against Offspin. It's a good point. Yeah. Russell? Um, yeah, well, <clears throat> I also have Dean Elgar. I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, he's a rock at the top. You know, South Africa have had a bit of a turbulent time in the last couple of years, but Dean Elgar's always been amongst the runs. And I know Rishi mentioned that he doesn't score as well overseas, but I think South Africa off late has become a really t- challenging place to bat. I think, you know, the way the pitch is aged there, you know, scoring runs on a day four Newlands wicket is, you know, as good as scoring runs anywhere in the world. So I feel, you know, he justifies a place that way. Yeah. And I know Rishi's going to object to this one as well, but I have gone for Mayank as my second opener. <clears> just <throat> Did I hear this correctly? He's, he's played 12 tests and he's almost at a thousand runs. He's been really consistent over the last couple of years. He scored runs in Australia and he scored, you know, at home. I think people are choosing to reserve judgment for when he, um, you know, scores runs in England. And I, you know, do understand that. But I think just the way he's, you know, made that test opening slot his own in, you know, the Indian team that's notoriously difficult to get into. I think he wants a place in my world in that You know, I don't doubt that Mayank Agarwal has had arguably the best record of any opener in the last two years um, by pure numbers. But Mayank doesn't really bat in tough conditions compared to what these guys are batting in. Um, he hasn't played a single series in New Zealand um, or sorry, in England or South Africa, and he hasn't scored runs in New Zealand. So I'm not quite sure that you well, can make would, that argument. I wouldn't say he didn't score runs in New Zealand. He scored a few. He did score, he did score a few in New Zealand. It wasn't 30. And it's not like anybody yeah. else in the Indian batting lineup scored that yeah. series. Everyone, everyone had a 50. So he, it wasn't a terrible series. Oh, yeah, right. I, I guess my point is just he didn't do anything to distinguish himself there. I, I agree. With the run scoring. So I'm not quite sure you can call a series with a 150 really a standout series. And until he proves himself scoring runs in these overseas areas, I think I want to make proven commodities my openers is all yeah uh if this was a 2019 world 11 mine will be the first opener. yeah they're over david absolutely Rowe. absolutely great i would like to point out um yeah process made a good point dean elgar opens in the tough in tough conditions and that's one thing too dean elgar and tom latham are severely underrated they, we everyone had we all had david warner's consensus as our first opener but i think we I think Tom Wither and Dean Younger could also say they're just as good as David Moore. It's because Absolutely. it's way e- easier to bat in Australia opening the batting than it is in either New Zealand or South Africa. New Zealand and South Africa easily have the worst averages over- for overseas teams and home teams. So Tom Latham and Dean Younger are definitely class acts. I definitely think uh, that easily could, that you, can, you can't go wrong with either choices. You could definitely go wrong with my uncle girl, though. Yeah, it's a fair point. So let's go to our number three and four. I really, I really think number three should be a consensus, but I'm interested to see what y'all say. I'm going to say Kane Williamson. <laughs> Suraj? I said, I said Kane Williamson. I, well, obviously New Zealand fan, so I mean, what I'm an Indian. I also, I also went for Kane Williamson, even though I will, you know, put the asterisk that Pujara is you know, one of my favorite test players in the world right now. I just think, you know, this team needs a captain and who better to lead it than Williamson. I think more than his captaincy, uh, we've seen that Kane Williamson scores at a quick tempo anywhere in the world. Um, he has strokes to play every type of bowling. Um, and there's really nothing to fault with his record, you know? with uh, He hasn't really had a lean run of form and test in a long, long time. Even Pujara had that stretch for a while where he was, you know, 
wrongly, but still dropped in, I think, in South Africa, or not in South Africa, in England. Kane Williamson has, for the longest time, been considered one of the best cricketers in the world because no matter the condition, he's consistently his team's best batsman. And if you look at the stats and tests, Kane Williamson actually scores one of the highest runs above expected um, by CrickViz's model. Uh, he and Joe Root are actually at the top of the charts for that. Um, Root, because he opens the batting in a very tough place, or not opens, goes at number four in a very tough place and ends up going very early because England's openers have consistently let him down and keep scoring. And Williamson, because anywhere he bats, he scores runs. And oftentimes he does it on pitches that aren't that good for batting. Yeah, Kane Williamson's, well, if I had to rank Test Batson, he's number three already on my list. So obviously I'm putting him at number three as well. I got to agree with you. Yeah, he's easily the third best Test Batson in World Cricket. And I, I, he, he's actually my favorite batsman as well. And I'd say he's probably top two batsman overall in looking at all formats combined. That I know that's definitely arguable, but I say he's the second best batsman overall in World Cricket. And then, yes, yeah, that's right. But the reason, the reason I brought Pujara, also my captain. That's right. mine too. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. But I mean, the reason I brought in Pujara is for his ability to break down the, the um, seam bowlers and just the, the pace attack, just to be able to, block the ball, ball after ball, dot balls, and leave the ball very well, see the ball, and know when to score runs. I think that's what he brings to the team. And um, being able to play traditional cricket, traditional test cricket, and I, I think he's um, the star of that, and that's why I've kept him. I, I think if you, if, you need anyone, if you need anyone to vouch for Pujara being in this 11, I think you just need to ask the Aussie team from the last time India taught. I think... Most of those bowlers still exactly. have sleepless nights about Pujara because the talk before, I mean, I mean, understandably, the talk before most Indian series is, oh, how will Kohli do? How will Kohli do? But I think Pujara, like, as you like, usually just goes under the radar and he just piles on runs. He just scores runs for fun, and I think you, know, you can't discount that. Even though I have gone for Williamson, Pujara is, you know, I, someone who should walk into most. I don't life. think Pujara is the wrong pick. I just think Williams is slightly better. I just, I, I, I just don't see how Pujara can get close to Williamson, honestly. Like, because even before that India Australia series, it's not that I underrated Pujara, but I, I always had slight doubts on his uh, away record. He did, he did not in the first round in 2014. He did not have a good series anywhere except South Africa. And then even when he was dropped, I don't agree he was dropped, but he wasn't scoring the runs that is expected of someone who's supposed to be the second best player in the Indian side, in Indian batting lineup. And even though he had one century against England, I still felt like he did not show his best overseas. And it was great to see him finally perform in Australia and put in a man of series performance. But Kane Williamson doesn't, has not, never failed overseas. Exactly. That's my point. If you can go with an elite player who hasn't failed yet, really consistently, or an elite player who's had one bad spot and on his best is arguably comparable to the other elite player, you're going to go with the player that's been more consistent. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can also name, I feel like Pujara has a great defensive technique, but I think Kane Williamson's defensive technique is better. The way he plays down late to third man, Pujara, I feel, can be suspect against in-swing bowling uh, because his bat kind of comes down a bit later. And obviously, nobody's bat comes later than Kane Williamson as well, but Kane Williamson's able to make make up for that with how how soft his hands play play is. And I just feel like... He's uh, also got a fast bat swing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that obviously you see a lot in T20 cricket, which is why he's such a great all-round cricketer. But yeah, Williamson is just like there's no technical weakness there. Like when you see him block the ball, I just don't think anything can go past that. Not saying Pujara either. Nothing looks like he can go past Pujara, especially that Australia series. Yeah, yeah. So our number four is really the heart of this debate. And before we get into it, 
I want to say that I still feel that if England had not made Joe Root captain, we could be having a debate over him at this number four slot. Unfortunately, they did, and he has not played well the last three years, so he's not even in contention for my 11, but he was averaging 56 at one point. Well, that's 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 cool and all, but the other two players are also have are also exactly captain, so right. No, that's what I'm saying. I think those two have risen to the challenge, and you know which two we're talking about: Steve Smith and Rod Coley. Those are the two I'm debating between. I think there was a time when Joe Root had arguably the claims and the stats to be in that tier in 2016, but since then he's fallen so far. He's not even the same stratosphere as these guys. I'm gonna go with Steve Smith as my number four. Virat has done amazing in, in test cricket and ODI cricket T20 for the last eight years. But I think as a test batsman, Steve Smith is just a little bit better. We've seen him play extremely well in England. We've seen him perform unbelievably in Australia. We ha- He had a great India series. He was even good in South Africa. I just think that for a player like Steve Smith, he has consistently performed everywhere he's gone. To the point where I'm not sure you can have a coherent argument for leaving him out. You know, we've seen Virat have a couple of stretches, a couple of bat series here and there. That Australia series, he really wasn't at his best. He had a couple good innings, but more tests with failures than not. Amazing in Asian conditions, without a doubt. Great England series. But even comparing those England series, Steve Smith's England series was better than Virat Kohli's England series. And I think... And both were man of both of them were man of series. Exactly, both of them were man of the series. But I think Steve Smith had the tougher go of it facing Jofra Archer and, and a better Stuart Broad. So I'm gonna go with Steve Smith as my number four. I mean, I could argue on, on you on that that Coley faced Jimmy Anderson the whole series, who is his toughest bowler easily. That's a fair point. But but I'm I'm not gonna argue anything else. I also picked Steve Smith. Uh, I picked Steve Smith purely based. He has his average is five plus more than Coley's. They they're both. It, this is it's like. It's like debating between Sutton and, and Don Bradman. It's like it's hard to pick one, but you just gotta go with Steve Smith. He's he was he's averaging fifty nine sixty ish. He has his record against England and India, are, which are easily the two main teams that Australia competes with, alongside South Africa, of course. His record against both those teams, home and away, is unbelievable. He scores three centuries against both of them in series each. It's he has if I'm if I'm correct. Seven centuries in his last 10 test matches against England and seven t- centuries against India in their last eight test matches, which is unbelievable. Like, that's yeah, not even humane. And he could have even more centuries. He has a few 80s, a few 70s, a couple 50s. So, yeah, I think Steve, and I think Steve Smith is probably, he might even be the best test batsman we've had since Sachin. So, yeah, Steve Smith. It's a fair statement that I would agree with as well. I have chosen Steve Smith as well. But um, uh, before we go into what who Preston chose, I forgot to mention number three. Um, we completely overlooked Labuschagne. Um, I totally get why we did, but I just wanted to um, understand what your thoughts were on him and um, why. 2019 we really World Eleven. Marnus Labuschagne's my first pick. That's all I get. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Right. It's uh, cool. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna be the dark horse here and go for Kohli. And I, I don't think that's it's simple. Pick. I'm, I don't think I'm, I'm going just based on his 2016-17 series when you know having recently. I mean, 
fairly recently inherited the mantle of captaincy you know he shattered clark's record for the most number of runs in a single calendar year as captain he had four double centuries in the calendar year as captain you know it's like laksha mentioned right the, the burden of captaincy can weigh down on someone and someone of kohli's stature someone who's under the kind of media scrutiny kohli always was you know coming right from you know when he made his international debut coming as an under 19 winning captain you know he's always been at the focal point of media attention i think adding the burden of captaincy to that is really something that <clears throat> sorry is really something that could have weighed down on him but he silenced all his critics then i think that you, you know i know it was a while ago and of, of late steve smith has been performing the better of the two i still think you know a year like that is just superhuman it cannot be ignored so i think you know kohli makes my team and you know yeah, yeah oh. i think there's nothing more to, to back said. you up prasan if i have to pick if i cuz when you're comparing like these two players you have to go very you have to be very nitpicky at what you're criticizing of one i have to say one thing that kohli does have over steve smith i'm pre- in my opinion from 2015 to 2018 the best bowling attack in the in the world was South Africa when they had Rabada, Morne Markle, Philander, Kesha Maharaj as a spinner and Kohli's record against South Africa both home and away was much superior than Steve Smith obviously we all know what happened in the ball tampering scandal but everyone seems to have forgotten Steve Smith was not having a great series with the bat right after the ashes where he was had Don Bradman comparison Don Bradman stats he was he struggled against South African boys Rabada and Markle troubled them a lot Kohli who played on a lot actually a lot tougher pitch pitches in a couple months before that series was the man of the series. I don't know if he was man of the series but he was a top run scorer. He was the only player who averaged 50 plus in that series. And then even at home, uh Kohli has scored double centuries against South Africa while Steve Smith struggled against them as well. Kohli has two centuries and a 96 against in South Africa while Steve Smith only has one century and has played a lot more tests. That's the only that's one thing Kohli has over Smith. Record against South Africa who I thought had the best bowling attack at that time. Smith had a decent series against when South Africa toured um in 2016 to 17. I remember Australia were all out for 85 which prompted a giant reckoning of Australian cricket. Smith was 48 not out. <laughs> And he was at the press conference just saying, "I need help. I can't do anything with this team." I think that was his only 50 though. If I uh, no, he actually scored 48 in that one. I think he I think, scored better in that. If I remember correctly, uh obviously I remember Rabada getting him uh with an absolute beauty of an outswinger. I remember he was Kesha Maharaj's first wicket for a duck. Obviously, obviously this is very nitpicky. We're looking at one series, couple innings, but I think Cole, I think just when you're looking at South Africa Cole it's better as a better record. You're right there. Uh, I I could be misremembering Smith's stats against South Africa. He might have just had that 115 in one century, but my point is Smith's consistency in England, his performance in India, his performance at home in Australia, I just think yeah. there's not really an argument against Smith. You can make one for Kohli and that's very very valid. I think you can't go wrong. I'm picking C Smith. Yeah. I think I think Smith would have been an extremely cheap, uh, easy choice if Kohli didn't have that England series where he, he finally he finally knocked off the last thing that people were say, still criticizing him for his record in swinging seaming conditions after that it became a lot closer but Seesmith bested him the year later so yeah got to say it right there so let's go to 5 and 6 um surge wants to start us off sure yeah um i've chosen i've chosen stokes um obviously for his record in the at five, right? and um, beyond but i i at 5 yes and i think 
his his ability to contribute on both sides of the ball um his batting is spectac- spectacular he knows how to switch gears instantly um we saw in the innings against uh west indies he was able to play traditional cricket and play the ball out and um have a strike rate, a strike rate of 50 and still score 100 and then also come out and hit uh, se- like 70 runs i believe of um, very minimal balls in the in the morning of the fifth day um against west indies this past summer but um i think that is his batting is just very versatile and what he offers on when bowling, his ability to bowl out the middle overs where the ball's doing nothing off the pitch and it's not swinging, it's not seeming. And um, his ability to just constantly pound the ball into the ground and have it pitch up to the batsman, um, have them all pretty much on the back foot for a large part portion of it. And um, just bowling out those middle overs and doing serving his purpose and bowling out longer spells than most bowlers can. I think that's what a role that he plays, and it's very vital to any team. And that's why I have him in my world. Wait, can I honestly? Does is there anyone who doesn't have Ben Stokes in their world eleven? Yeah, I mean, I've <laughs> I've got Ben Stokes as five so. at five as well. He's considered by those in the England setup and those around in the England setup to have the tightest technique of them all. Yeah. Uh, it's an absolutely watertight technique. It's very difficult to find flaws with it. It's versatile. He can score at will freely. You saw this in the Headingley test where when there was one wicket left, he started slogging Nathan Lyons six after six. Um, but he can also block. In that very same test, he got to two off of 50 balls. So his game is so versatile. He's been the best all-rounder in world cricket for so long. Gives you an extra bowling option. And what's there to mention about Ben Stokes is that from 2015 to 18, I think... He was one of England's best swing bowlers. He got more swing on the ball than anyone could have imagined. He switched to bowling bouncers more and short pitch more because he became England's enforcer. Because when Stuart Broad found his form, Jimmy Anderson was still that good. Uh, there was more of a need for someone that could bowl short and quick. That's what Ben Stokes can do. He bowls at 140 clicks and he bowls very, very well. So I think, honestly, Ben Stokes is a type of player who can do it all. Not to mention that he's arguably the best fielder in the world. So I've got Stokes as my number five and... Frankly, I think it's a clear-cut choice. Yeah, I have Stokes at number five. I think I don't really need to go into this. Surge and Lux should explain it. Yeah, Stokes at five. Like, who else are you gonna pick? Yeah. Forget that he's the one of the best all-rounders in the world. You can claim he's England's best batsman now too. The way, way Joe Root has been playing, he's been playing. You can easily yeah. Get, you can claim he's both England's best batsman, and you can also claim that in swinging conditions, when they go with more. Uh, when they're attacking more Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, they're not playing Archer. He's even England's fastest bowler. Yeah, and you're right there. He's their best slip fielder too. Like, I, there's nothing to say. Which is actually has an interesting point you are because when Ben Stokes made his comeback uh, after his after obviously we, we know his incident, um, it seemed as if his bowling had gone on a new level. But his batting, he seemed a little um, a little over defensive. He wasn't getting the runs that was expected of him. In fact, I think on until the World Cup, I didn't see Stokes come back. With his best of the bat, and obviously that to the ashes and forward. But there's an interesting story on that actually. So what happened was when Ben Stokes came back, he actually put himself into training 24/7. He felt that he had a debt to the team to make up. So when he started batting, he couldn't have that same reckless abandon. He said because he felt like he had to prove to his teammates that he was back and that he was more responsible and that he cared more. Um, Moeen Ali actually said, uh, "You know, we don't think Ben Stokes was." Um, has anything to apologize to us for. We know he was defending others. He was defending the gay couple from abuse. But he's just playing a little bit within himself right now. And we'd like to see it him break free a little. 
when the World Cup came and he was England's main man, you saw him actually step up to the challenge and start playing a little bit more his, I don't want to say conservative style, but his more balanced approach started to pay dividends there. And then when that started paying off, you saw him become more comfortable with his aggressive game because he knew he was justifying his performance. And then we all saw what happened in the Ashes and then in New Zealand. But he also bowled brilliantly in that pe- that period. He was a bit uptight with the bat, a little bit, a little bit. Oh, he was making his place known with the bowl easily. Yeah, yeah he took six wickets against the Windies. Forget that. He was troubling India. I I, I have never seen Ajinkya Rahane look so flabbergasted. Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad weren't doing that to Ajinkya Rahane. Rahane had a terrible England. I wouldn't say terrible. He did a pretty mediocre series. I felt Ben Stokes really troubled him. Oh, yeah. Wing bowling, bouncers. He, he got all the skills. Prasun. I also have gone for Ben Stokes, but I have him at number six, and I'll explain why in a second. But my number five is going to be a Jinkya Rahane. Um, and I think, you know, he's a bit of a controversial pick, but he does average above 50 in tests, uh, in tests over the last four years. And, you know, he's just, yeah, as India's vice captain, he's been there in one of the you know, golden ages of Indian test cricket. And I think. He scored runs in England. He scored in South Africa. He scored, obviously, scored in the subcontinent. I think he scored runs just about anywhere. And going into this, I'd um, hope to pick a specialist number five. And in world cricket, over the over the extended period, there's been fewer specialist number fives who've done as well as Rahane. That's why I have him in my eleven. Personally, and I have three number fives. Of six. I have I Stokes. I have Stokes at six just because... Um, he he's shown off late his ability to bat with the tail across formats. And I think that's something a number six should really be able to do, especially a number six who scores a lot of runs like he does. You know, you can think of the great number sixes like Mike Hussey and Adam Gilchrist, who, who've shown this at various parts of their career. And Stokes, you know, very closely mirrors this. And I think that's what makes him a great asset at number six. He's Let's also not forget that he scored the fastest double century ever in test cricket batting at number six in South Africa on a day four pitch. So I think all of that just contributes to the fact that he, in my opinion, adds more value to this side at number six. Yeah, in my opinion, Ajinkya Rahane is, a very, is actually a very disappointing cricketer for me. Uh, the way he played it, you're saying he's averaging 50-plus, so his overall average is 45, uh, which is still – that's a very good average. A lot, a lot of players, even in this 11, don't have a average of 45, but – I feel like the promise that Jake Rahane showed in India's overseas leg tour in 2014-15, when they toured all, obviously they toured the entire scene of countries. Like he scored in all conditions there, scored scored three four hundreds, played much better than Kohli and Pujara. But in my opinion, ever since then he's never ever really gone back to his best. He's honestly not one of India's best players in the subcontinent. Uh, all the players India have dropped over the years. Murli Vijay, Shikhar and Kaoral, they all have better records than him in the subcontinent. And overseas, I he was only clinging onto a spot, in my opinion, because of his overseas record. And honestly, he did not fill fill that promise in the in the India's 2018 leg. He had he had a couple 50s here and there, but didn't score 100 until India toured West Indies, which ended a century drought. And I honestly think uh, Ben Stokes, just as a batsman, is better than him now. I think Fab Duplicy is a better number five. I'd even say Henry Nichols is pro- has a better record than him over the last few years so i would not be going rahane i've got to agree i I think rahane is not the batsman that he once was i think since that 2014 to 16 purple patch that he had 
I would say that he's been one of the biggest disappointments in India's batting lineup. He should be their second best batsman. He's got more natural talent, I think, than Pujara does. Yeah. But for some reason or the other, he just doesn't seem to put it together. He plays bad shots, gets out, uh, fishes too much outside the channel. You know, you can say he gets great balls all the time, but he's batting number five. And if you keep getting magic balls every time you get out over the last three years, maybe they're not actually magic balls. Maybe it's something to do with your technique. I think Rahane has consistently gotten starts sometimes in series, and then he hasn't been able to convert them of late. And I'm just of the opinion that at your number five in a world 11, you want someone much more consistent with better recent form with a better overall record. And I don't think Rahane has that even in England when he had that one or so good innings, he was still mediocre really you'd expect better from him given what you saw in 2014 to 16 in australia he had one good innings again seriously disappointing south africa he had one good innings you can't keep getting by in tests buying yourself time with one good innings every six tests unless you're joss butler in england's test 11 and even he's been doing better of late you bring up you bring up faf duplessis and henry nichols you know, both of them have lower averages across their career than Rahane. Both of them, you know, admittedly, they, they bat in much better. They, they bat in much tougher conditions. Yeah, we've already gone. New Zealand, South Africa are the toughest conditions. Rahane is the only person who doesn't benefit from subcontinent. His subcontinent I mean, worsens his average, actually. Yeah, his subcontinent record is you know under forty, but his overseas record is close to forty-five, which is more than. Your Duplessis record anyway. Right. But again, a lot of that overseas record is buoyed by that 2014 to 15 purple patch, right? If we're picking players from 2016 to 20. Yeah. To overseas record in that 2014-15, his average would have been around 60. Yeah. Again, in Australia, his average was about 80, 80 probably. In England, where in India's batsmen look like sitting ducks, he averaged 45, 46. So I think his average is boosted a lot from then. I definitely would have picked him as a number five back then in my World Eleven. I still, I don't think Ajikarhan is uh, should be dropped from the Indian team. I still think he is. He does have a future, especially in this World Test Championship cycle, and then the next overseas cycle India will go through. But I, I think is I want him to score hundreds overseas. Now I don't want if he doesn't score at subcontinent, that's fine. We have Kohli, Pujara, our opener scoring double hundreds. It's fine if he if that's the one place he wants to fail. But he needs to step up overseas, especially. And yeah, I do also think. He, should have a better record than Pujara. The way the way he bets, he's also technically he's he was t- at least technically perfect, but it seems like Pujara has worked out his test game a lot better than Rahane has. I think Rahane's technique has gone backwards. Honestly, I do. Yeah, he does that. He also does have it. The thing with Rahane is, is he's also just not India's best player of spin. He's just one of the rare Indian players to struggle against spin. I've seen, I've seen Nathan Lyon, Moin Ali. They all, all work him over. Yeah. Yeah, they work him over. He and obviously his subcontinent record is not great, simply because he doesn't do that well in slower pitches and spin. So, but overseas he should not be getting worked over by spinners in those conditions. You know the thing with Rahane that always got me is you would expect him to do better in pacey conditions where there's bounce and not a lot of seam. So you would expect him to do really well in Australia. And I was expecting when India got to Australia that he would do very very well, maybe as their best batsman even. But we didn't get anything like that. I mean, I don't think it. I think things in Australia last time he actually played two extremely crucial. He had two extremely crucial fifties. One was a match-winning fifty, honestly, in a great partnership with Pujara, and he had a, hit that fifty in Perth in a partnership with Kohli. But again, 
Those 50s, if they were hundreds, we could be having a completely different combo. Yeah, exactly. I agree, but they weren't. What did Coley Pujara do? Coley Pujara didn't score 50s. They scored hundreds when they got in, especially Pujara that series. Yeah. I think it's time that we move on now. Suresh, do you want to? Number six. Yeah. So, oh, um, number six. Only only Preston has done his number six, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Suresh, who's your number six? So, um, I'm actually, I have QDK at number six. He could be at seven as well, but he does bat number six for me. Um, I have Jason Holder as my um, other all- all-rounder at number seven. But um, I think QDK, the way he's, he doesn't, um, as we've talked before, um, I think his record against uh, keeping against spin isn't exactly the highest. He can keep against pace very well, um, facing the likes of Rabada and et cetera. But um, I think uh, Maharaj isn't exactly the best of spinners. So I think um, I, I haven't really chosen QDK for his keeping abilities. Um, if, if I have, if, if I would have chosen someone for keeping abilities solely and not batting, it would have been Saha. But um QDK, especially for his batting abilities, that's that's why I've chosen yeah, I can't get team. Over. You're the only and... person who keeps calling him QDK. <laughs> Sorry, okay. you, you, you just don't want to say cock. cock. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> someone mentioned it. Someone in the IPL comedy made a good point. They should start calling him Quinny instead of the cock. You can call him Quinny. QDK, yeah. dude. You sound like you, this is sound weird. <laughs> it, it does sound weird. I, I don't know why. Okay. Yeah, so I've included QDK on my team, not Quentin DeCock. But um, yeah, and then I've had, I, I'll probably go into Holder as well. Um, we can cover the six and seven position because yeah. um, they're probably keepers and all rounder. Um, I chose Holder over Jadeja. Um, I think those are the two options in my mind for the all rounder position. Um, I personally wanted to have uh, five uh, seamers and one spin. It was the dis- decision between that or four and two. Um, but yeah, uh, the five seamers being, I'll get into the other three, but Stokes and, um, Holder right now, um, Holder will be my captain. I think he's done really well for West Indies and, um, he's really, um, built the team up and supported them and he hasn't, his form hasn't decreased, um, while taking caps, captaincy, if anything, it's increased and he's, um, led the team very well. So yeah, those are my six. I'm just going to back surge up here. I also have picked Quinn DeCock and Jason Holder. I'm not gonna go too much into Jason Holder. His he's underrated as a player, but if you look at his his the stats purely back up. Last three years, 18 average of the ball, 40 plus average with the bat. He's really changed West Indies cricket around. They really believe they can win test matches anywhere now. They can win at least at home as well. They really they're confident they could be any side in the world. He bowls he bowls a good pace. He's tall, gets good bounce, scores good runs. Not much to say. Quinn Nicock. Even though it might seem like an obvious choice, I actually really struggle between Quinn DeCock and BJ Watling. I know, I, I know I'm, I'm a huge New Zealand fan, so I do have a lot of bias towards New Zealand players. But BJ Watling is—he's honestly the most one of the most underrated cricketers in probably in New Zealand's history. Like this dude always say, and never New Zealand that ever mess up, had a collapse. He always saves them over, overseas at home. He all his tests and he has never scored an easy test century. BJ Watling. All his test centuries have come in hard conditions, hard, hard, hard match situations, and in great partnerships. And he's usually ready to play second fiddle to another player that's batting really well. But I, I picked Quinn DeCock simply because I went for stats-wise, Quinn DeCock just has a bit of an edge over BJ Watling. And um, I feel because I have Quinn DeCock at six, I feel like DeCock will play better at six than Watling would. Both of them are. Both of them, their style might be a little bit different, but they both play excellently well with the tail. 
you can't go wrong with either choice there. Yeah. So I agree with you guys on Quinton DeCock at number six. He's my keeper also. Um, but I think for number seven, I'm going to go with Ravi Jadeja. It's a really tough choice for me. Uh, I think as a player, Jason Holder is better. Um, I don't think that needs to be cut into too much, honestly. We've seen what Holder does. He's lowest average with the ball. I think one of the lowest in the last few years, averaging 18 with the ball, 40 plus with the bat, as as Richie, Richie said. But to me, in a World 11, I want at least two spinners. And I already have four pacers. You'll see who the other three are. But Ben Stokes is a genuine pacer by himself. I think four pacers are good enough to handle the pace bowling load, especially of this quality. And so I want another spinner. And so I wanted a spinning all-rounder. And Jadeja has done very well with the bat of late. He gets you some good counter-punching runs at number seven. And uh, we've seen that he has a talent to do well with the bat. We've seen him play well in test cricket recently. Um. And I think as a spinner, his qualifications really don't need to be um, gone over too much. He's been arguably the second best spinner in the world of late, certainly top three. Uh, takes wickets anywhere, bowls at a quick pace, uses bounce and overspin, and gets wickets just about anywhere. And he bowls at such a quick metronomic pace, he keeps the overrate ticking and he keeps putting batsmen under lots of pressure with his dot balls and stringent economy rate. I'm going Jadeja at number seven. I don't think this is a knock against Holder. It's just that I think Jadeja is a better fit for a team. Uh, Absolutely, Lakshya, to back you up, to back you up that Jadeja is such a team player. I mean, I remember seeing him come in, you know, when India need quick runs, whether he's just come to the crease or whether he's in the 90s, he'll go after it if that's what his team needs. And, you know, it's testament to the fact that he's been out in the 90s a couple of times. And Rishi, you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong, but he has been out in the 90s a couple of times, you know, in the in the quest for quick runs. And I think that just speaks volumes to his character. About not to mention, is, yeah. yeah, and not to mention he's... You know, you say Stokes is one of the best fielders in the world, and I do agree, but Jareja is right up there with him, and he will, you know, take those, you know, half chances, and he will save those runs, and I think he just adds a lot of value to the team. But now, since I already gave you my six, which is Ben Stokes, my seven, I know Suraj brought him up, but I'm going to go with Rhythm on Saha, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because with a top six, you know, with a strong top six, I think you can afford to have the best wicketkeeper in the world at number seven. And in my eyes, Saha is that wicketkeeper. Other than the time when he was out with a thumb injury, he was a mainstay in India's test side. You know, he's kept in South Africa. He's kept on dying subcontinent pitches in India. You know, place like Kanpur. And then in Sri Lanka as well, when India toured Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, in fact, he was strongly considered for man of the series just because of how well he kept behind the stumps. I think, you know, his ability to stay low, you know, while keeping for the likes of Jareja is what sets him apart from, say, Tim Payne, who's um, less comfortable when the ball's keeping low and more comfortable when the ball's, you know, bouncing. I think just because of that, I think Saha is a more complete wicketkeeper. And he that's the reason he makes my 11. So, would you say if this would, would you say that if this was a regular team, would you still be picking Saha over someone who's over another? Uh, let's say you have a random top six, but you could pick any wicketkeeper you want. Would you still be picking Saha? Probably not, just because he his promise with the bat hasn't really translated into scores in red ball cricket. You know, he's not a bad batsman by any means. You know, he does 
have a have it have a hundred in an IPL final, and that's something you can't discount very easily. But I think that hasn't really translated into performances for India. And you know, as someone, as a wicketkeeper, you know, you would be expected to contribute with the bat. And I think he, you know, an average of thirty in Test cricket is just not something that will get you um, a spot as a wicketkeeper batsman. But with a with a strong batting lineup ahead of him, I think it. I'm I'm a strong advocate of having a specialist wicketkeeper on a side. And when you do that, so why wouldn't you take him it's oh, just so if I didn't have if I did have Kane Williamson in this side, I would pick Tim Payne because not only is he a great wicketkeeper, I'd say the second best wicketkeeper in the world, he's also a great leader. And I wouldn't give Kohli the captaincy just because I want him to focus on his game in this side. So if I needed a captain, Tim Payne would be the man. But since I since I have a able leader in the form of Kane Williamson, I'm going Saha. I think BJ Walling's up there with Saha as a wicketkeeper, though. I would agree with Rishi. I think if you're going to go with the best wicketkeeper, I would say three top keepers in the world come to mind that have played over the last four years. Uh, BJ Watling, um, Rhythman Saha, and Tim Payne. And I think of those three, if you're going to pick someone with a promise for the bat, BJ Watling. Watling, Not even close, yeah. Yeah, and... Watling, the downgrade between Watling and Saha and Glovemanship. I mean, yeah, Saha's slightly better, but I don't think it's that big of a jump. Watling keeps on very difficult wickets as well. He's really good with lateral movement. Um, granted, we haven't, I think that we haven't seen him keep to really quality spin. That's true. But New Zealand doesn't have. But like that's more of a downside of the fact that New Zealand doesn't really have too many quality so, spinners. So we I think that, but I think Wallen was flawless when New Zealand beat Pakistan in UAE. He did absolutely nothing wrong with the gloves and he scored runs. Yeah, that's true. Also. So I think I think one thing people really overlook is just how difficult it is to keep regularly in the subcontinent. The, for week I know we talk about how South Africa and New Zealand are really tough places to play as batsmen and that is true because of the lateral movement you get and the things the pitch starts to do for pacers after day three and day four. But I think keeping on a day four, day five pitch anywhere in India or Sri Lanka is just as difficult, if not tougher. And I think, you know, the way Saha has distinguished himself over the last, you know, over like every time he's picked up the gloves for India, I think is just testament to the fact that he can just do anything behind the stumps. And yes, maybe the trade-off in terms of the number of runs saved in buys isn't as much as a Watling or a Quinton Dickoff will give you the bat. But Saha will take those half chances behind the stumps and he will he can turn a game around from behind the stumps, getting a key dismissal. So I, he unequivocally, you know, I'd accept an argument for Jinkya Rahane, but Saha is very, very firmly staying in this eleven. Well, I think, uh, in, I think you have the same mentality India has with Saha. Because India's top six at home is so strong and it's just expected that their top five will always be putting 400, 500 plus. They rather just go for the safety option of Sahab to make sure that he gets the chances that Arisha Pant might not off Jadeja and Ashwin's bowling. But we see when India goes overseas, they're not they don't they're not willing to risk Saha. They think because India's batting collapses overseas and they won't they rather go with the better batting option Rishab Pant. So And and we saw we saw how that worked in England when he came when he was consistently leaving 15 to 20 buys in innings. And I know a lot of it was, you know, 
it was, you know, some stuff that beat him. But I don't think they were all on him. A lot of those buys are genuinely impossible. But I think just the way that Saha moves behind the stumps, he'll be able to take those. Yeah. He'll be able to I have do. a much better shot at taking those impossible chances. I think in a situation like that, India need to start backing their top five a little bit more or working, getting Saha to work on his batting a little more because both of those are very feasible alternatives going in the future. And I think having Saha behind the stumps is just an asset that can't be over. I think on the note of Rishabh Pant when he was keeping in England, one of the things we noticed with him that Saha is so much better at and Watling too is Pant is often caught flat-footed when the ball is moving, Absolutely. Uh, he moves the wrong way. His initial trigger movement is often to the leg side sometimes. Um, he's not very good at reading which way the ball is going to go. And I think that ends up costing him a lot when it comes to drop chances. But I think Dukak and Watling both are very, very safe pairs of hands. So for me, I would pick either of them before I would pick um, Rhythm Ansah for myself. But I think we've discussed... Uh- Again, Six, you're that's that's three. you're looking at you're looking at him while he's keeping the pace in a place like England. When it comes to keeping against spin, he's kept for Jadeja, who bowls you know at a fairly quick clip. He's bowled he's kept yeah. for Ashwin, who, who not only varies it a lot, but he also gets a lot of bounds. There's, so there's, I think yeah. there's no debate. Saha is the best keeper in the world against spin. It's not even close. Yeah, like, he, he, he absolutely yeah. is. I I have more belief in Risha Punt's keeping improving to match, uh, not match Saha, but at least get close to that, then Saha's batting improving to Risha Punt's level. I can't see Saha ever scoring two overseas centuries, ever. I really can't either. He's not, yeah. he, we've seen his ceiling with the bat, and it's honestly, the fact is he's keeping his place as a specialist keeper. That's not wrong, but in my world 11, I want a keeper who can bat a little bit too. All right, so yeah. let's move on to the bowling attack. Let's, I think it's, I think each of us only have one specialist spinner picked um, that's not picked for their batting abilities as well. So why don't we just go in this format? We'll just have us all say our spinners, and then we'll go to the Pacers. So, Preston, let's start it off with you. Um, who's your spinner? Well, the spinner in my team is going to be Nathan Lyon. I think over the last few years, you know, he's he's got wickets almost anywhere in the world. He's He has the ability of getting the ball turning on any surface in the world, and I think the way he made Indian batsmen, who are very, very adept at playing spin, struggle in Australian conditions against him, just speaks testament to the class of you know his bowling and his ability. So he's a no-brainer in terms of spin, and this really hurt because I'm a big, big, big fan of both Ashwin and Jadeja. You know, I all I already mentioned how much I love Jadeja, and you know Ashwin, I feel walks into almost any Test bowling lineup. He's you know, very, very smart cricketer. So I, it pains me to leave him out, but Lyon's just proven himself consistently over the last few years. Suraj, what do you think? Um, well, I have Ashwin on my team. Um, I think for all the reasons that uh, Prasen chose Saha because um, of his keeping abilities to Ashwin and uh, the likes of Jadeja, um, his ability to, you know, uh, keep a batsman guessing pretty much on every ball and um, his ability to control the ball and have it pitch up um, he's he's one of the best and he is the best at spin and um, yeah I have him on my team as this okay one. nice so you two one of you have picked Lion one of you have picked Ashwin I I did not have that debate mm-hmm. because I picked both um, I in my top seven I already have Stokes and Holder so I can afford I, I could afford two uh, 
specialist spin bowler. So I've gone for Ushran and Nathan Lyon. Ushran's at nine in my team. Lyon's at number 11. Um, Nathan Lyon has taken wickets everywhere. He's a consistent wicket taker. He's proven himself in the toughest place to Boston, which is Australia. He's proven himself in the subcontinent where the pressure's on him to get wickets. He's got an eight-wicket haul against the, against the, an Indian team, a golden Indian team. He's got eight wickets against that team. That's unbelievable. Um, Ravi Ashwin, every time India plays in subcontinent, you feel like he's always going to be – he's always either man of the series, a man of the series contender. Um, I think his overseas record is honestly a lot better than people are willing to give him credit for. He's gotten crucial wickets in England. He's gotten crucial wickets in Australia. Got, he has a four-wicket haul in all these countries. Um, I, I think he's – while they, I think Nathan Lyon has a better record than him, he's a better spinner, more consistent, a little more consistent. I think Ashwin's a more talented spinner in that he has a lot more variations. He's a lot more. He's a bit, Ashwin has one of the best cricketing minds as well. The way he thinks about the game, the way he's bowling a T20 IPL these days, his ability to bowl carom balls, leg spin. He's just he's just a he's just a different breed, honestly. The way how smart he thinks of the game. So yeah, I went. I just picked both, and I feel bad for any lefty that has to face either of them bowling in tandem. Yeah. So for my spinner, I think I'm gonna go with. I think I'm going to go with Ashwin. I actually went uh, back and forth on this many times uh, between Ashwin and Lyon. I think Lyon has a better record uh, when you consider the fact that he's bowling in Australia on wickets that are not as friendly to spin and he gets over spin, which has a lot of bounce and is tough to play. But I think I have Jadeja in my team already and he takes care of that angle. Ashwin is the best turner of the ball in world cricket. I don't think there's a debate there. I think he gets the most turn. On helpful or unhelpful wickets, uh, he did well overseas. Um, that one test in England where he performed badly, he actually had torn his hip, I think. So when he's healthy, we've seen what he can do. He's excellent overseas when he's fully healthy of, of late. Yeah. And uh, and the subcontinent, no one would doubt, not even Jadeja's biggest defenders will doubt that Ashwin is the best bowler in the world in the subcontinent, bar none. So... I think for me, I've just got to take Ashwin. His batting is useful. He'll get you 10 or 15 extra runs a game compared to Nathan Lyon. Maybe in innings, actually. But I'm picking him mainly because of the fact that I think he's just a better spinner. Um, that's why I have him as my um, as my spinner in the team. That wraps up everyone on spinners. So does everyone have two spots left in their batting in their lineup? Three. I have three. You have two. Yeah, I okay. So I, I I can keep this off then. So I have two fast bowlers remaining. Obviously, my other two fast bowlers are Holder and Stokes. Um, Holder has one of the best records, so I'm ready to have him as my top three fast bowler. This was tough. He's picking these two two pace bowlers. It was very tough to admit just with Boomer and Mitchell Stark, but I had to. I went with Pat Cummins and Neil Wagner. Is uh, it that tough to admit Mitchell Stark in tests? Yes. Uh, I think Mitchell Stark, just like Ashwin's overseas record, is a bit over-scrutinized. I think Mitchell Stark's test record is over-scrutinized. He's a, at home, he's always getting wickets. He's He was Australia's best bowler in the last summer. He's basically been... He cleans up the tail, which honestly is a very underrated skill. Especially as an Indian fan, we know how frustrating the tail can be. <laughs> and players like Mitchell Stark can make captain's life so much easier. I would love to have him in, in this team. But I went with Pat Cummins. Pat Cummins has been the number one test bowler for ever ever since he came back from injury. He's he made an immediate impact, got wickets in the subcontinent, got wickets in the ashes, in both ashes series, home and away. When the when Australia were struggling because of the Smith and Warren were omitted from the team, 
he really stepped up as probably the best player in the Australian team that that summer. Stepped up against India, even in that South Africa tour where the scandal happened. He was the only one who really came out. He's the only one who really came out well off that tour, and he's shown himself to be an absolute leader of the of the Australian bowling attack. His, the deliveries he bowled to Joe Root in the Ashes are absolutely unbelievable. He can bowl all day, <laughs> and now that I said he bowled all day, let me bring you to a person who actually can bowl probably a 50 over spells of bouncers, Mr. Neil Wagner. I Neil Wagner, just like most New Zealanders, I have extreme passion and love for. But like all, most New Zealanders, also severely underrated. This this man has this man has seems to have a very, very one dimensional bowling style. Just goes in and bowls bouncers, but he absolutely executes his plans to perfection. Supported by his captain Kane Williamson, who sets amazing feels for him, he's able to bounce out teams very easily. Despite the fact he's not even top five quickest bowlers in in the world, but he he's able to execute his plan in a variety of conditions. He's got wickets. He got wickets, and he was probably Austra- uh, New Zealand's shining light off there. Pretty dis- dis- missile tour in against Australia. He 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 really troubled Smith, uh, David Warner. He troubled the Indian batsmen when they came over, came over for a tour, and he's been very consistent. He's averaging 21 ish in the last three four years, and even though a lot of focus is on uh, Tim Saudi and Trent Bowl when it comes to New Zealand, the thing is they get a ball with the fresh new balls, green green greenish pitches, while Neil Wagner always has to come and do the dirty work. He's like. He always has to come in. He delivers when the pitches are absolutely flat. Both two batsmen are on centuries. He's coming out, getting bouncers. And he's been doing that consistently for six, seven years. So I went with Neil Wagner. Nice. Yeah, I think Grishy really hit the nail on the head. I've chosen Pat Cummins and Neil Wagner. I have one more option, which I'll explain later. but um, Or one more bowler. But, um, yeah, I think the dismissal of Joe Root was absolutely beautiful. The plan that they set out for him, um, constant outswingers working him outside off stump and then sending one inswinger in, and that just worked out beautifully. Yeah, I was referring to Root. I was referring to Root's okay, first yeah. ball well, it's off happened. stump when uh, that cleaned it Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, but – I think I think this one was better for uh, for coming. Yeah, that was the time that they out. You're talking about that was a genius plan. Obviously. I think the fact that we yeah. have this debate shows that Pat Cummins yeah. has got to be a slam dunk in any. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm just an absolutely amazing bowler, and um, the change of the recovery from his back injury and being able to still play so consistently and take wickets—it's just amazing to watch him. Um, also, have Neil Wagner as well. Um, primary thing is his bouncers and his ability to even ruffle up Steve Smith. I think that was really good, um, a plus in his side. But yeah, that was pretty straightforward. Um, my last seamer I have is Stuart Broad. Uh, maybe a bit controversial, but I think his ability, well, main reason actually is because I have Warner on my side. And if 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 Warner's facing Broad on another team, there's no <laughs> chance Warner's going to score any runs. So I had to include Broad onto my side. Um, that was the only option, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Broad this past summer, um, I really think he's played extremely well, even in the, the past few years, in fact, and, um, the way he's changed up his approach and not many bowlers do this, but when he's, when he's at the crease, the way he uses the crease coming wide of the stumps and then, um, coming closer to the stumps and the way he, where he bowls from, um, the variation from there itself is shown. And, um, that's very versatile and, Broad has done that really well. It's something he's improved upon, and um, along with his wrist placement. Um, but yeah, he's an, an amazing bowler. Um, I think him and Anderson, that 
pairing is yeah. going to be legendary and it's going to be in our minds forever. But um, yeah, I think his consistency to pick up wickets in key moments is it's very important, and that's why I've I think my team. for me. I'm going to back you guys up on Neil Wagner in terms of defending the logic he was picked in because I don't have him at 11, but it was a close call. Um, Wagner uses angles better than anyone in the world, I think. It's a really underrated part of bowling. You'll see Joffre Archer come in close to the wicket, as a lot of fast bowlers do, so they can really hit that channel outside off of off. But what Neil Wagner does is he uses the wide angles really well, and he angles it into your rib cage with a short ball, and that's what makes the ball so hard to play. I think he's the best exponent of the short ball in the world, but I think the other three bowlers I'm going to pick just have too much quality to be picking Neil Wagner instead. My attack is Pat Cummins, Kagiso Rabada, and Jaspreet Bumrah. And I think Bumrah, we've seen just how destructive he is um, with the ball. He bowls quick at 145, gets seam and swing movement, um, and really gets the ball to skid on. And that's very, very useful um, with his action. I think Pat Cummins has already been said by you guys. There's really not much more to say. One thing I will point out about Cummins is um, part of what's interesting about him as a bowler is his middle finger is the same length as his index finger. And it's because at the age of four, he actually ended up in an accident where the door was slammed on his middle finger and the top had to get cut off. As a result, the top of his middle finger, his middle finger on the right hand is the same length as his index. And that means when he bowls, it actually helps him with the releasing because uh, there's no off-center release as you would sometimes see. It helps him get more revs on the ball. And uh, that actually ends up helping his delivery when channeled properly. Uh, Cummins has, I think, one of the best actions in the world. He's had to hone it and tweak it repeatedly because of consistent injuries. But since he's come back in 2016, he's been Australia's most durable bowler and has bowled more overs, I think, than anyone in that team, except for Hazelwood and Lyon. And he's played every single test that he can. I don't think he's been rested for any single major test. We've even seen Hazelwood rested for an Ashes test, but never Pat Cummins. He's pay- he played all five of them. He's a very durable bowler now. Gets a lot of swing, gets a lot of seam when he needs. What more is there to say? And I think my last one, Kagiso Rabada, he's just so good at Yorkers with Bumrah. I think that issue Rishi was talking about with cleaning up the tail, uh, I think Rabada is perfect for that. He bowls at fast pace. He can get reverse swing. We've seen that happen. He can swing the ball both ways, and he can bounce it. He can York you. He's got all sorts of weapons in his arsenal. I just think he's too dangerous of a weapon to leave out. Um, he's been South Africa's best bowler. Now that he has some good support in um, Nortia, uh, good pace support, I'm really excited to see where that goes. So that's my last pacing. That's my last pace slot. Do we acknowledge that we might just be in a golden era of pace bowling? We oh, have yeah. we have talked about five, six different options for three paces. None of us have mentioned. Uh, we haven't talked about Josh Hazelwood, Jimmy Anderson. Uh, Ishan Sharma, uh, Mohamed Shami. Uh, there's so many amazing pace options right now. And we haven't even mentioned anyone in Pakistan. Mohamed Abbas, Shaheen Afridi. Yeah, that's. I don't think they're up in this debate. But. No, but they've got the talent to be. And the fact that we're not even mentioning them is a testament to how good the current crop of pace bowling is. Tim, Tim Saudi, Trent Bolt can also be in this convo. Trent Bolt can easily be in yeah. this. I think... Any you could put any Australian bowler in the world eleven, 
Pacer or or Nathan Lyon, and you can easily justify it. It's just I think we're in a golden era, and I think I think you had that point that they always put pick Cummins right every match, right? Oh, yeah. Shit. That's also the reason why if I had to pick an Indian, I would pick Ishant over Justin Bumrah, simply because. Uh, India are selective, and the, obviously they're selective because Boomer plays all formats, and Ishan's a test specialist, and he's a spearhead. But they they basically allow Boomer to basically play overseas conditions only when it's in his favors. But Ishan does the dirty work at home, and his average and yeah, Boomer's absolutely. average are pretty much the same. So I would go Ishan over Boomer. Yeah, the reason I didn't do that is because I think Boomer has more raw talent. It's just a better bowler. And I also think if you want a workhorse role, I've got two spinners and Ben Stokes, so they can take over the bulk of the overs when you need to. So that's why I think, you know, you want to go for pure talent on these. No more holding roles. These three roles, you want someone who can get you wickets right away. And those are the three I picked for that reason. Yeah. I think Rabada also would have been a first pick for me because there was a time when I would have put him as a number one bowler. But I think he just had a little, he's just in a little bit of a lull in test cricket. And, but I, I'm pretty sure he'll come back. Like we've seen glimpses in the IPL and he'll come back for sure. But yeah. But uh, Prasan, well, what are your choices? Well, the first time. The first time I, you know, made this eleven, I was torn between Cummins and Jadeja just because in spinning conditions I would want an extra spinner, and I assumed, you know, incorrectly that Cummins' fitness worries had, um, you know, continued. But you know, now I think, yeah, he's the he's the um, constant among all our teams. He's just there, and to go with him, I've. Uh, you can't not put Broad in Anderson. I mean, here are, you know, Anderson is someone who's got more wickets than Glenn McGrath, the great Glenn, Glenn McGrath in tests. And, you know, just the way Broad has re- um, reworked himself to bowl to left-handers, I think Warner still has nightmares about him and he will continue to just because of how well he's bowled to left-handers the last few years. And I think, yeah, he those two just have to be in anyone's Test 11. I think the what's extremely underrated in cricket are bowling partnerships. And I think the way that these two bowl in tandem is something to behold. And I think that's a large, like, that's the biggest reason I think England have enjoyed such a, you know, prosperous spell in test cricket. And I think that, you know, having the two of them bowling together is just what sets my attack apart. Yeah. I think there's a strong correlation with. There being so many choices for uh, World Eleven pace bowlers, we can literally name 10, 11 names. Kima Roach is another name I missed, by the way. His record's amazing. Shannon Gabriel uh-huh. also. Shannon Gabriel, but then we also don't have so many choices as for opening batsmen. I'm pretty sure there's a strong correlation there. These these pace bowlers are destroying careers <laughs> now. Many I think. Career. Part of the reason yeah. is because the ICC really does want results to be happening. If you remember that 2002 to 12 period, you saw a lot of draws. And that wasn't really that good for the game, especially in the area of T20. If you want things to continue, you don't want a lot of draws and you want pitches with a little bit more in it for the bowlers. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's great. But yeah. opening the bo- opening the batting has become extremely tough over the last few years to the point where if an opening batsman averages 38, you take it eyes closed. No questions yeah. asked. Easily. Yeah, you don't you don't have any more Alistair Cooks going around. And but even Alistair yes. Cook went, even Alistair Cook had a really tough time. Yeah, when all these bowlers coming around. He did, he did. Yeah. Absolutely. But he's he's I think the first player who comes to mind is someone who's, you know, played through that era. 
you know, he's played he played in the you know mid 2000s and he did play all the way until 2018 if right. i'm not wrong yeah. maybe 19 but he's someone who transcended that era and still you know retained some level of success and i think that just speaks volumes as to how good he was but you don't really have any more people with the stats like him going around who yeah, the, the only person that comes close to david warner he gets he he's one of the only australia is one of the only places where opening slightly easier than other countries and and the subcontinent yeah, this year i think all of india's opening batsmen play well in subcontinent half of them get dropped because of their overseas performance right like that one's average in subcontinent like 50 yeah. plus as well yeah i think i think it's fair to say fast bowling is definitely yeah. the hardest part of picking score 11 and i think open i think picking the batsmen is slightly easier the top 4 is probably the easiest part yeah i think with batsmen the thing that we often underestimate is You know players like Joe Root, we will crit- and I criticize him plenty for getting out so early. Um but you got to remember that in this era of pace bowling, uh there's so much that's at play and it's so difficult to actually play properly here that you have to keep you have to keep playing your strokes, you have to keep the score ticking because you could get that magic ball at any time. It's very difficult to hang in there and keep your wicket, especially in places like England. This is why Joe Root after he crosses 50 has a shot percentage of 90%. He plays at 90% of the balls that he gets. That yeah. is insane, but he has to play like that because he's going to get lucky. Quite honest, you're going to get one of those balls. Yeah. When you're set, you have to take advantage of scoring. I think runs. yeah, I th- I think right. I think the chat that we're having about openers brings up one of the reasons I absolutely despise KL Rahul as an opening batsman for India especially in the period where he was scoring 12 13 50 s in a row without converting it into a big score I think as an opener if you if you you know score a 50 great but just the way he was getting out you know trying to loft absolutely you know on unloftable balls over long on and just holding out to mid on in where the 30 yard circle would be i think that's just inexcusable and openers the world over probably just look at him and just think about how you know he's just not converting starts after doing the hard part and i think until he works out on his temperament he's going to be out of the place now with mayank agarwal and rohit really coming into their own oh you know, the last in the series they back together for kale rahul was dropped uh Australia India he scored a 40 i remember but it that and even though that 40 was crucial for india's victory it was like he seemed to have lost the batting well, he, he was, was swinging wildly at the, in that 40 he yes. six off mitchell stark because he just swung the bat randomly yeah and it's like those shots in t20 we la- we were like yes kerao this is why you're a goat goated ipl batsman but just see commons was literally laughing every time kerao swung and beat his bat and it was just like I just felt he lost the flow of test batting. But obviously let's let's see obviously that's a future debate combo if KL Rahul can can come back in the test team. My take is that KL Rahul is uh, India's Johnny Bairstow. I think once a very very talented batsman gave up his test spot to become an excellent ODI player, now one of the best white ball batsmen in the world. I don't think he's going to come back in the test side for a while. I think his spot's been taken by better players and his technique is no longer suited to the red ball game. He lost his rhythm and now it's the strokes that he plays do not translate well to the red ball game. Uh well, I do agree with all what you said. I would not just discount him like that. I I mean, my Gagol and Rohit Sharma they're good, but we haven't they're not They're not established. Neither is Prithvi Shaw, so there's always a spot there. And 
you never know. What if KRL becomes an incredible wicketkeeper and he wants to bat at seven for India, which I would gladly take. Somehow I get but that, that's not happening. <laughs> I don't think it's happening either, but maybe. But yeah, that's a different combo. He needs to score runs in Grungy Trophy before we can even look yeah, at but um uh, before we even consider that. Yeah, so those are our teams. Uh, we can Let's if go we ahead and read them out. That, we yeah. can um, list out so, our sure. entire team one by one, just at yeah. just the end of it. Yeah, um, I can I can start it off. Uh, so I have Warner, um, Karuna Ratna, Pujara, Smith, Stokes, Quinton DeCock, Holder, Cummins, Ashwin, Broad. Yeah, and Wagner. my team is Warner, Latham, Williamson, Smith, Stokes, DeCock, Holder, Cummins, Ashwin, Wagner, Lyon. Yeah, Luxury, you want to say? Yeah, sure. So my team is uh, Warner, Elger, Williamson as my captain, uh, Steve Smith, Ben Stokes, Quinton de Kock, uh, Robbie Jadeja, Robbie Ashwin, uh, Pat Comins, Kagiso Rabada, Jasprey Bumrah. Yeah, uh, I forgot to say, Williamson is my captain and Stokes is my vice captain. Stokes is my vice captain as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've gone for Dean Elger, Mike Agarwal, Williamson, who is my captain. Kohli, Rahane, Stokes, Saha, Cummins, Anderson, Broad, and Lyon. And your captain, vice captain? Uh, my captain's going to be Williamson. Really, I have you know an international captain and two international vice captains in my 11, so I'm not really too fussy about who's vice captain. But come to my head, I'd go for Kohli. Or, yeah, I would go for Kohli as vice captain. Suraj, if you had to pick a 12th man, are we going to all agree it's Kohli? Yeah, awesome. absolutely. No questions asked. Jadeja for me. Jadeja for me. Yeah. Okay. Um. Um. I mean, yeah. That's no that's Smith as your twelfth man. No Smith. Uh, really? So no, no Smith as my really. No. Yes. Omitted huh. him from the twelve. I think you're picking a twelfth okay. man based yeah. on his fielding, aren't you? Yes. yes. That's that's oh, what I meant. I meant no, no, no. If you had to pick a twelfth reserve, like. A reserve. Would you regret? Oh, oh, then, then, yeah. yeah then Would you regret not picking? Then there's, then there's yeah. no question. Actually, more than Smith, I like maybe not regret, but it hurt me more not picking Pujara than Smith, just because I love Pujara so much. Player, but yes, but I feel in terms of merit, I think Smith would be the closest one to missing. So, out. who's what country has made up most of your guys' world eleven? What's been your what's your number one country? Mine's Australia. India. I, mine's Australia. I have Warner, Smith, Cummins, Lyon. And I have three New Zealanders, Latham, Wagner, and Williamson. So that's seven out of 11 for two countries. Yeah, I have I have four Indians, and I have um, three Englishmen in my I have well. three Australians, three Indians, one Englishman, one New Zealander, one and two South Africans, so yeah. Mine is mine is three um, Australians, one Sri Lankan, um, two Indians, okay. one New Zealander, and one South African. Okay, so I'm gonna and bring up one. I think control. Yeah, point. two two English. Any Pakistanis y'all were considering? So I know all of us are Indian here, but was there anyone mm-hmm. considering a Pakistani in their world eleven? You know, I think the thing with Pakistan is that over the last four years, really in the last year, you've seen their players break out. If we were considering a World Eleven from 2019 onwards, I would have taken Babar Azam Shaheen Afridi. 
I think they've had the numbers to back it up, but we're not. We're considering it over the last four years, and I think they haven't had the player with the record for that. The one that they've had that's been playing over four years is Yasser Shah, but I don't even think Yasser Shah is a top three yeah. spinner in the world. Okay, I, 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 if I wanted to pick a bowler, yeah, it's hard to pick a leggy. I, I would have gone well. Yasser Shah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah. And if I made this, yeah, Yasser Shah. among, I say, I say, behind, you know, based solely on Lion Ashwin and Jadeja, I think Yasser Shah is the best spinner in the world. And I want, I strongly considered him just because he gives that leggy option. If I was, if I were to pick a second spinner, I'd be torn between Jadeja, who offers you know more as a cricketer all around, versus Yasser Shah, who offers that. You're really challenging, like spin to play. I think Yasir Shah is just a tad inconsistent compared to the likes of Ashwin Jadeja in line. But at his best, Yasir Shah is near on unplayable. And I think you know, he can make almost any test side. He walk into most and, test sides. And like the they have it easier. Yasir Shah bowls. Lexman is not a working formula in test cricket the way it, it is in limited overs. So he keeps the anomaly. Keeping the anomaly is also a great credit to him. Uh, obviously, there was no competition between Smith and Coley, but yeah, Root and Root was my third option there, and then it would have been Babar Azam. Babar Azam just has too much competition. He's such a classy, sexy batsman, but yeah, it, the, the options above him were just are just yeah. better. Than, for me, yeah. I think. Go on. Oh no, no, I was gonna say as for Pakistani players, I think currently. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Summer, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think he had an amazing series. Yeah. He's keeping the mom of the bus. Honestly, if it wasn't, if if I was picking a World Eleven based on the last twelve months, as much as I love Sahar, Rizwan would have my special spot. Just because he can, he can do everything Sahar does, but he can also keep up to pace. Which Sahar has done. My thing is, Rizwan is a great keeper, but you got to see a little bit more of him than just one series to make that judgment. I want to see him keep in the subcontinent more consistently against top quality to spin. Just see how it goes. Keeping 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 up to a swinging bowler in the UK is about. Oh no, it's tough for sure. I cannot. I I can't think of a single other wicket keeper. Keeping in UAE to Yasser Shah is just as tough as keeping Usher in the subcontinent. There's not that big of a difference if it's on a day five. I I disagree in putting Rizwan in my 2019 simply because BJ Walling hit a double hundred against England uh, in that period. He had a hundred against Pakistan in that period. I I still be going BJ Walling. That was very interesting. Good, good, good conversation. But um, yeah, everyone listening, thanks, thanks for joining us on this podcast. Um, let us know what your teams are, and uh, you can just add it to the comments or just message us. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, let us know what we should talk about next podcast as well. Um, we'll be doing two a week, most likely, and just continuing with the IPL like check-ins and then uh, different topics. Like just, just let us know what we should talk about. And um, yeah, thanks for um, talking and uh, lecture and press on. That was really good. Thanks for hosting, um, Suresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See you guys next week. All right. See you all next week. Thanks, Suresh. Bye. Pleasure.